really the biggest challenge is establishing a team culture early on of, of what what it's going to be like to work at earbuds or at fort or anywhere else you know when you start a company if you don't have those things in the in the back of your mind or really not in the back of your mind if you don't have those as the forefront uh, of things you want to set early because it's easy to i'm not gonna say it's easy to set a culture but it's much much harder to break a, a company culture and reestablish a new one uh, and so really creating core values and core beliefs Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning in today. Super excited about my interview with Jason Fox, the founder and CEO of Earbuds, an app that is going to change the music world. We hit on a ton today what it's like to start a tech company, especially in Texas, what he works on and has helped drive his success, um, his life in the NFL and the idea that spawned for Earbuds while he was sitting at the 50-yard line watching Cam Newton warm up with some headphones on. Enjoy. What's up, guys? I've got uh, one of my very good friends, Jason Fox, joining us today. Uh, Jason and I have been friends for the last couple years and met through a company that he started, Earbuds, that is a... um, music-based app that is coming soon. Uh, It's been a pleasure getting to know him. Uh, We're following his journey in the entrepreneurial world. And um, I think it is clear to see that he's going to be a success in what he's working on. So uh, Jason, welcome to the show and uh, look forward to having this chat with you. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, So just give us like the two minute who you are and what's led you to, to today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, I don't know if I can sum that up in two minutes, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up, uh, in, in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, you know, I, I loved, uh, kind of, you know, the, you know, the area of Fort Worth was really coming, uh, coming into its own and it's grown a lot since, but you know, it's crazy, uh, you know, seeing what Fort Worth and Dallas and that whole Metroplex has become. Cause I just remember driving uh, on a dirt road to get to high school and, then, you know, I was lucky and blessed enough to get a uh, football scholarship to the University of Miami, uh, you know, uh, played there for four years. And then, again, I was blessed enough to have the opportunity to play in the NFL. I was drafted uh, in the fourth round to the Detroit Lions, played there for four years. Uh, you went to, back to Miami on a free agent deal, played a couple more years with the Dolphins. And when I wrapped that up, I, uh, you know, had this idea for earbuds that I got uh, probably midway into my career and really <clears throat> was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And uh, I really could never get past this opportunity. And I thought, you know, this is this is too good of an opportunity and someone's going to do this. Uh, why not me? And that's kind of what, what led me here to, uh, you know, starting and founding Earbuds. So what uh, what is Earbuds first? And then take us through, I know I've heard the story, but take us through kind of the aha moment that you had. Um, I believe it was on field with Cam Newton when the idea kind of came to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll I'll actually start with that if it's okay. So I was, um, like I said, midway through my career, we were playing Carolina and I'm warming up doing the super boring lineman stretch uh, pregame routine and (laughs) Cam Newton's warming up right next to me and he's 
he's got his headphones on, he's got his hoodie on, and he's just jamming and getting getting into the zone, getting ready to play. And I instantly thought to myself, I said, man, there's <clears throat> excuse me, there's 85,000 people uh, in these stands. Millions more are gonna watch this game at home. And Cam is an individual that has a uh, multi-million uh, uh, social following on all of his social platforms. And I just thought to myself, how many people would love to be in his headphones right now, you know, listening along with him. And I really never really got that thought out of my head. Um, when I went back to Miami, guys were always posting screenshots of their music on their uh, Instagram or Twitter feeds and hashtag NP, hashtag now playing. Uh, and that was back before Instagram stories. And now Instagram stories, music screenshots are one of the number one things uh, shared on there. And, and it just, I kept seeing more and more opportunities where Michael Phelps before the Olympics, before his first race, Twitter said that 23 million people tweeted at him asking him what he was listening to before the race. Fast forward to 2018, it was the number one question asked at this year's Super Bowl Media Day. It was the number one question asked at this year's Winter Olympics is what's on your pregame playlist? What do you listen to before your event? What gets you hype? And I think the biggest reason for that is in this crazy day of social media, music is the only medium that's not shared uh, as commonly as everything else is. And so Earbud set out to be the solution to that. And what, what Earbuds does, it's, it's a truly social music platform. And instead of just listening to music on a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your provider, it essentially allows you to broadcast your playlist uh, where people can tune in live and listen along with you in real time. And then it functions like social media afterwards where you can uh, chat, interact, like songs, uh, collaborate on playlists, save songs back to your Spotify or Apple Music. And it really just creates... Uh, or it just makes music social and discoverable. So essentially you become your own kind of radio host. You're, you're kind of, uh, if you are uh, playing music through earbuds, you're uh, getting to choose what song your audience is listening to and they're listening along with you. Absolutely. Yes. That's awesome. So we will be able to listen to what Jordan Spieth is uh, listening to while he's warming up at Augusta, hopefully in the next year or so. Yeah, and, you know, and that's the plan. You know, I, I when I initially thought of this, I thought, man, like this is like, you know, people idolize celebrities, people idolize artists and athletes, and you know, these people uh, share their brand with their followers, but they don't, you know, they don't share their music tastes. And but really, as we dug more into it, you know, that I think that is a huge catalyst for growth, and I think that's what gives us a competitive advantage, uh, of really getting this out there. But honestly, when, when you actually go out and talk and spend a ton of time in the field researching like we have, uh, you know, I would say probably 30 to 40 percent, that's the real hook for them. It's like, oh, I want to know what my favorite athlete, my favorite artist, my favorite role model is listening to because I idolize this person. But honestly, the majority is like, oh, my sister, my cousin, my husband, my uh you know, Bob from accounting always has the best music and I text them constantly uh, of what, what, you know, what is he listening to? What's the new playlist? Every time we're golfing, every time we're barbecuing, every time we're on the boat, this guy's always DJing. And I asked him constantly, you know, what new music have you found? And, and this goes back to something I didn't say earlier is, you know, 82% of new music is, is, uh, you know, discovered uh, by their friends and social network. They, their friends are, 
their peers showed it to them, yet the number one way people share music is through screenshots. And so uh, we're basically unlocking that shared music experience and just making it uh, you know, easier for everyone. I love it. I was on the app not too long ago and had like two or three people listening to what I was. And, uh, it was a cool experience to know that I was kind of in control of their experience in the sense of whatever I played next was what they were going to get. It actually became kind of funny. I was putting on probably not, not appropriate songs for this podcast just to see like their reaction of what might come next. You know, and that is a, and that's a, and that's something that we discovered too, right? Because music is so inherently social, but in the context of what earbuds is, is um, everybody does have that uh, big rush of endorphins when they see a couple of listeners hop in, and you know they're listening along with them, and some people instantly love it, and you know broadcast more, and that's like the hooking moment, and some people have that kind of the same reaction you do, is like, wow, I got to really. Uh, be careful what song I play next because I'm, you know, you feel like you're on stage and you're performing here and that you're the DJ. But, uh, you know, the, you know, it's been, it's been a, uh, you know, awesome ride so far. And, you know, we've gotten uh, a ton of feedback, just months and months and months of feedback to really just create just an amazing user experience and that, uh, and really taking all that, uh, you know, to heart and to valuable of like, you know, why isn't this already out there? What, how do we set expectations and how do we deliver on those? And, you know, with, uh, with our launch coming up, it is, uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting because I feel like we're, we're starting to uh, approach that, uh, of nailing that user experience. When, uh, when can listeners, um, when will they be able to get the app and try it for themselves? Actually, you can, you can download it right now. Go to earbuds, uh, and it'll be the first thing that pops up when you search earbuds in the app store. Um, and yeah, I would, I would love for everybody to download it and, and, you know, reach out to me and let me know what you think and, uh, how your experience was and in any ways we can make it better. Awesome. Well, your, uh, journey in, um, building this company and, uh, the way you've gone about it is super interesting. So I want to kind of take some time to kind of uh, show the narrative of, of how this all happened and, and how you've gotten to where you are today and what you've learned in this journey that maybe you were naive to because uh, one of the most impressive things you've done is um, you've built this uh, entire company from Texas, which tech businesses traditionally haven't been coming out of Texas. Uh, you started in Fort Worth, went to Austin, and so uh, I'm just going to kind of give people a picture, um, of how a tech company is built, but also what, uh, other people that are in Texas that might have ideas like what they might be thinking. So I'll start with, um, we met and you had an idea and you were in, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And one of the early parts of the story was you were hoping that you were going to be able to build this app out of Fort Worth. Um, tell me about, kind of how that changed, why, and then maybe uh, what things need to happen in Fort Worth to make it more kind of tech friendly and more of a hub for uh, maybe more apps being built. Yeah, uh, I'll try to do my best to answer that. Uh, that's probably a long answer, but yep. uh, you know, your first question of, you know, why did I think 
that I could build this in Fort Worth? Uh, just a brutally <laughs> honest question or answer is, uh, I was just naive. I yeah. didn't know. Um, you know, I didn't really understood at that moment of what all went into it. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you kind of learn from your credit hours a little bit. You, you know, I, you know, I, I'd done the research and, you know, I, I just got my MBA and I just took a class, uh, an online class taught by Stanford and YC, the incubator, uh, Y Combinator was actually the one teaching the class at Stanford. And, you know, I've read books about how to launch technology and, you know, I thought, I thought I knew something, uh, but really you only learn by just going through it and, yep. and, and just, uh, really getting your hands dirty and figuring out, uh, why, you know, why things work and why things don't work and where the breaking points are. Um, and, and honestly, just Fort Worth, it's, uh, you know, it's a great city. It's my hometown. It's one of my favorite places in the world, but it is not the, you know, user facing, uh, tech hub (laughs) of even Texas, you know, Austin is, but definitely not a, a big, it's not a startup community. Um, you know, recruiting talent is, is a big, is, would be a big issue in Fort Worth is, you know, you would have to pull, you know, if they work at Microsoft or if they work at, you know, one of these places in Dallas, if they're willing to go to a startup, you know, it's, uh, you know, the top talent isn't really looking to go to a startup, number one. And, you know, you would be finding guys, you know, that are unemployed or, uh, but honestly, way more important than that is, you know, the the software systems that IBM and Microsoft and some of these huge corporate companies, um, you know, they were built 30 years ago and iterating on code that's, you know, old and outdated that no really uh, mobile technology or uh, just user facing technology is built on today. And, uh, and so just uh, from some, from a technical perspective, recruiting, and it's really the whole ecosystem, you know, Austin's been great. Austin's been great to us. We've been able to recruit, uh, and there's, it's a music tech and startup just hub. And, you know, all three of those are ours and, and, you know, just talking to people, it's, uh, I would say one of the biggest benefits of Austin over Fort Worth. And I think even, you know, what some of the West coast has, uh, you know, benefits over Austin. I do think there's also other distractions on the West coast, but, uh, is just when you get plugged into a network, you know, everybody knows everybody. Um, Oh, you have an issue with that. Let me call this person or, Hey, uh, you know, my friend knows this person, we can get you an introduction here. And, you know, in Fort Worth, you're just kind of on an isolated Island (laughs) where that just doesn't take place. And you, it's you up against the world. And that's just not a, uh, that's not a system built for success. So if, if somebody's in Fort Worth or in and around this area and they want to launch a kind of technology-based business, your word of advice would be to try and move it to Austin and start there um, or not and eventually learn that you'll probably have to do that. It, it just depends, right? Because, uh, you know, more than likely that would probably be my advice if, if you were going to launch, I keep saying consumer facing where it's just like, Hey, you're going to build a technology, which the everyday user could use on a website. They could use on a mobile platform. Uh, they could use, uh, you know, just an everyday consumer type. Uh, I would definitely recommend moving to an ecosystem that would support that. 
if you are going to build a backend infrastructure that's going to, you know, optimize the way uh, favors database interacts with some other delivery service or uh, you, you know anything that like no one's going to ever see, you know, that can be done in a place, uh, it, it, it's less critical. I'm not going to say it, you know, I would just say, yeah, Fort Worth's great, but it, it's less critical that they're in the same type of ecosystem because a lot of that tech could be, um, you know, done overseas or, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be in-house and you don't have to be in the same, or I, I don't want to say you don't have to be, but it's just less critical. But right. doing what we're doing, um, it, it, it was definitely uh, the right move to move to Austin. Uh, and in general, I would recommend because it can only help you if you're in, if you're you know you have a a network around you uh, that is supportive and you know everyone's helping each other and, uh, and there's there's people around you that've been through the same issues and that can provide advice to that. But when you're in Fort Worth and you know most people are doing oil and gas or you know other more Texas traditional. Uh, in Texas traditional industries, it's it's kind of apples and oranges. They don't they want to help, but they don't know how. Right. If you are uh, so you're you have an idea, uh, you're you're ready to roll. Would you recommend um, building the? Take us through like the evolution of building the app. Is it is it good to third party that to a third party kind of company that builds software and apps or? would it be better to early on have kind of technical talent on your team that's committed to building the app more 24 seven? Again, I would, uh, I would preface it by saying if it's user facing, it would definitely have to be in house. If it is a, a backend system that is just going to optimize one or two features that could probably be, uh, that could probably be, you know, uh, shipped overseas or have, you know, have an agency or something build it for you, especially if it's small. But, um, you know, Peter Thiel's quoted it saying like, he'll never invest in, uh, uh, you know, offshore, uh, or, or agency built or just, uh, you know, if, if the technical team is not in house, he will not invest in it because he says it's never been successful. And that's definitely true. If it, if the average user, um, is is your is your uh, uh, is your you know if, if the average person is your is your consumer is what I'm trying to say. But right. um, and and so if with what I would recommend if that's the case is that you would first build prototypes. Um, you could uh, you know with today's technology, Sketch and there's a million other ones. You can just build really quick wireframes and go test it. Uh, before you even do that, I would honestly just go talk to as many pieces, people as possible. If your if your demo is college kids, go talk to them. Like, hey, you know, for us, we you know we're a social music platform, so we would ask people, hey, what do you you know, how do you listen to music currently? Oh, I listen to Spotify. Oh, I listen to YouTube. Oh, I listen to the radio. Oh, I would listen you, to whatever. Would you ask them that in person or sending out surveys or like how do you get that first critical feedback? The you know, kind of all of the above, I'd say the most valuable, um, is in person. Um, because you're able to ask them way, way more, uh, way more questions and you can feed off the, the, the answers they gave you like, Oh really? Why is that? And, um, but sometimes you'll get more honest feedback, uh, especially once you have your product in hand 
they're not going to be like, wow, this stinks. Uh, <laughs> go, go back to the drawing board. They're going to be like, oh, you know, you could do this better. Um, and so early on, I would definitely say get out in front of them and say, um, okay, cool. You listen to Spotify. What do you love about Spotify? What's, you know, oh, it does this and this and this. Cool. What do you hate about Spotify? Oh, uh, well, the great answer for us, the number one answer we got is it's not social enough. And like, okay, cool. What else do you hate about Spotify? Oh, I don't like the way I have to build playlists or I don't think the queue system is great because I would rather it do this. Okay, cool. Tell me more about that. And, and so we take all this user feedback or potential user feedback and that helped give us, you know, a better starting point than what's ever in mine or any other founder's mind of, okay, this is what this should look like. And then from that point, you can go on and start the prototyping process and then, okay, and go test this with either people you've already talked to or totally new people like, okay, cool. Hey, can you try to walk through this and, you know, tell me, you know, you know, if you would, if you would use this or, Hey, is any part of this confusing or what else would you like to see it do? And okay, now you have, you know, now you have a greater starting point. And at that point, now you actually, uh, you know, you're starting to write code and you're starting to build, build an app. And then just really the name of the game over and over and over again is iteration and getting user feedback. And then really once you, uh, when you're watching people use it and love your product, you know, okay, now that's how you, that's, but that's really the only way that's been proven to get there. Um, you know, just what most people do is they have an idea, they build an app and then they try to ship it. And that works one out of a thousand times, but most of the time it, it doesn't create an addicting enough experience or what, what was in their head or what was in the founding team or the product team's head didn't have a great market fit or didn't solve the problems that the users wanted. And so until you get that constant loop of feedback, that's really the, you know, uh, the winning solution. So I think this is really important. So, um, a couple things on this, but, uh, when did you think you were going to launch the app and when did you, or when are you launching the app? Like, I think what you just said is, is hugely important because you do only launch once and the excitement of just launching, um, it can, it can, it can be doomsday if it's not right. So the ability to be patient and, and um, stay committed to making the best product possible before going to market. So like, when did you think it was gonna happen and when did it happen? Like how long of a time did you wait um, to make sure you did it the right way? <laughs> Chris, I'm almost embarrassed to say that because- But I, and I ask it to not be an embarrassing question because I think it's the biggest lesson that most people with an idea could learn that it isn't a race to the app store. It's a race to an amazing product. Absolutely. So, you know, back when we first, you know, we're talking about an idea, I think even before I met you, when we met a couple of developers, they were like, Oh, we can build this in a couple months. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like we'll have it happen in a couple of months and we'll, we'll ship it and everybody will use it and love it. And, you know, it's been, you know, a gradual learning curve, but you know, from after we moved to Austin, we moved to Austin in March and, you know, we, we built a roadmap of what a product roadmap should look like from an existing beta we already had and, you know, our, our, our current knowledge around the product. Uh, and we said we were going to launch in July and, you know, we said, okay, um, we didn't put a date on it, but like we have to launch in July because this is going to 
Um, you know, this will give us a minimal marketable product. And we learned really quickly that blending music and social is uh, more challenging um, than we initially thought, not from a technical perspective, but from just users understanding it. And when we got to July, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, we need to add all these features to make it successful. It was, they were asking for features that were already in the app, so we weren't presenting it in a very elegant way. Like, oh, it needs to be able to do this. Well, you know, it does do this. It just, you know, it shows it right here. You can do it right here. Oh, that's cool. And, and so we had to be able to coach uh, users through without them really even know they're being coached because they hate it. Uh, you know, people are so used to seeing pop-ups and this and that. Like, you know, I've watched 100 people download, more than 100, uh, several hundred people download our app. And we ha used to have, you know, coach marks at the very beginning. And about less than 1% of users uh, will actually take the time to read all those. Most of them just swipe through them and they're like, wait, how do you do this? I was like, it was on the screen before you swiped it away. Uh, so we had to figure out a very, and like, that's what this iteration is, right? It's just figuring out a way to elegantly coach people and walk people through them without even that, you know, they're being told this. Yeah. Uh, and so I fit, you know, it, you know, when we originally said, okay, we're going to launch in July and okay, we pushed it back another couple months and pushed it back another couple months and, uh, and, and getting the product right is absolutely, uh, the number one goal. And. So now we're in December and uh, we are, uh, you know, soft launching it this week. Uh, I think when this airs, we'll be soft launched. So absolutely go download our app, uh, uh, earbuds in the app store and uh, love to get your feedback on it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Paul Graham, the found one of the founders of Y Combinator uh, said something that really stuck with me when thinking about these type of tech companies. And you might've heard this, but, he said it's the perfect time to do things really well that don't scale. And what he meant by that was what you've just talked to us about, which is being able to have those conversations with uh, potential users. Um, you know, as you get bigger and bigger, you're not going to have the time to go out and have those. And he referenced Airbnb really early on. The founders of Airbnb literally flew to New York and went door to door and helped people set up their Airbnb, helped them take the photos of their apartment, helped them get it loaded, and spent so much time early on with their customer that it really helped drove the experience. And so his whole point was this is the best time to do things that don't scale. You're not forever going to be able to constantly get the feedback that you were early on and take advantage of it um, as much as you can. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, Airbnb has, uh, you know, been a huge success. And it is because of that, um, spending time with their customers early on. And that that really is, uh, you know, across every product in tech, is that's the solution. There's actually added challenges when you're dealing with mobile applications because, you know, if someone hasn't been exposed uh, to Airbnb and they see it the first time, they're probably – um, you know, you know, willing to at least look at it or give it a shot, uh, depending on, uh, where they were in the product life cycle. But, you know, with apps, if you launch too early or with a bad user experience, I mean, you're going to have bad, bad articles written about it, bad press written about you. You're going to have, uh, you know, bad app stores or reviews and people bury you in the app store. It makes you almost impossible to find. And so, um, 
you know, like, oh, this is buggy or, oh, this didn't work or, oh, this is confusing. And, you know, reviving an app like that is almost uh, next to impossible. And so uh, launching with a great experience is something we wanted to make sure that we had done. I keep saying that over and over again, but that's how vital it is. And just to confirm for everybody, you weren't in the tech industry or business before you decided this. So you've kind of learned while you've been building a business, you've also been learning tech along the way. Yeah. Uh, and really probably it's, it's more than one uh, reason surrounding myself with smart people. You're obviously one of them. Um, just surrounding myself with people that have done it before successfully and just picking their brains. Well, how did you do this? Why did you do that? Um, you know, you think, do you think this is a good idea? And really, I, I, this whole time I've tried to make myself the dumbest person in the room just so I could soak up as much knowledge as possible, um, you know, this entire process. And I think that's started to pay dividends. And one of the, probably the biggest, most crucial moments that we went through as a company is when we went through uh, an incubator at the end of 2017 with uh, uh, Mutual Mobile was a big app uh, app development agency in Austin. Uh, when they sold, the the CTO and the head of creative left and formed an incubator. And at Mutual Mobile, they shipped 330 successful apps, all of Nike's apps, Beats app. They even built Google's first app. Like they've done, you know, they they really know what it takes to build apps, uh, not only from a technology perspective, but just how to run a company and how to really start this iteration loop and, you know, working with them for a couple months, they almost rewired my brain and some things are like, you know, after working with us for a couple of weeks, they're like, okay, Jason, this is what you guys do really well. And this is what you can improve on. And this is what you need to change. <laughs> and, you know, that was, uh, you know, not the easiest thing to hear always, but it totally set us on a new uh, trajectory uh, towards success, which I'm extremely thankful for. And now, they sit on our board. We have monthly calls with them, and uh, they're still uh, as helpful as they they're today as they were going through that incubator process with them. So surrounding yourself with smart people, mentors, which we've talked about, I've written about um, the incubator route. Would you recommend uh, to most people that are giving um, it's their first sh uh, uh, first rodeo in the tech world to try and get into an incubator program? If it's their first rodeo, absolutely. Um, and, and the, unless they've done it successfully before, even if they've done it before and if it, you know, fell, uh, or didn't work, which sometimes happens in startups, you know, uh, you know, really, you know, go through the incubator process or a similar process and literally just surround yourself with people that, uh, have solved the problems that you're trying to solve or know the industry better than you know it. And really, um, you know, whether it's read books, like just immerse yourself with a wealth of knowledge everywhere around you. Um, so when you have a question, you don't have to debate it in your head or even just talk amongst your team for, you know, a week trying to solve this problem when that problem might've been already solved or the best way to solve it's, you know, uh, someone in your network really close to you. And if you can build that, it, that, that goes back to, you know, the Fort Worth or Austin debate, like those people that can help you uh, with startups and uh, in tech and all those things like those that those relationships are, you know, there's some relationships in Fort Worth, but the really to really allow you to give you the best chance for success like that is in 
the San Fran's, the LA's, the, the Austin's of the world. And, um, so I absolutely, I would, I would recommend an either incubator processor, um, or, and I would say not even, or, and, uh, the mentors. I love it. The, the goal, um, which people probably, people sometimes, uh, figure that out early or later is the quicker that you can become the dumbest person in the room, the more successful you'll be. I tell people at Fort, my, my end goal here is to be the most irrelevant person in the office, which would mean I've put a team of people in here that are incredibly uh, talented and uh, love what they do. And I just am walking around the office asking people, do you need me anymore? Am I still relevant? Yeah, I, you know, that's, um, yeah, I think that, that I, I feel the same way, and we're obviously uh, a long way from there. Uh, not, not from that's not me patting myself on the back. It's just we're not, uh, you know, we haven't accomplished success yet from our yeah. goals. But um, you know, we we are early on the growth process. But um, you know, that that was something that we really took to heart too, and that was big part of the incubator and really all the mentors too of like, um, you know, how to build a team. Right, anybody can go find technical people um how do you you build the team well it's like what i was going to say was it 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 all started like okay we have to build the right team um and you know tech being technically proficient enough is just a small part of that like and you know i would like you know are they capable you know check do they do they you know give a crap Mm -hmm. check like are they fully bought in and you know willing to do anything to make this successful you know will they fit the team culture and really the biggest challenge is establishing a team culture early on of like of what what it's going to be like to work at earbuds or at fort or anywhere else you know when you start a company um if you don't have those things in the in the back of your mind really not in the back of your mind if you don't have the the forefront uh, of things you want to set early because it's easy to um, I don't know. I say it's easy to set a culture, but it's much, much harder to break a, a company culture and reestablish a new one. Uh, and so really, uh, creating core values and core beliefs. And, uh, you know, we have design principles and tech principles of what, you know, things that if there's ever an argument, like, okay, no guys, this is what we said we were going to do. Like, this is what we stick to. And it really, uh, you know, shapes the conversation and even helps from recruiting too. Is like, Hey, are they going to, you know, are they going to be able to fit in and be a valuable contributor? Um, and when you, when you have a team culture, everything can move much faster uh, and you can get much more done with uh, far limited distractions. If you, uh, culture is like, it truly is the, the, the biggest goal of them all is to have an amazing culture and, success is kind of a byproduct of an amazing, uh, culture and they're very difficult to build. They require attention and and care just like anything. And, um, as you kind of get closer to the ideal culture, uh, the success, the financial statements, the amount of people downloading an app seem to kind of follow, they kind of run parallel in my opinion. Yeah. You know, uh, the the mantra has been for a long time like you know and that is even one of our core values is users over you like we're going to build what the users want not what jason wants or any other member of our team wants it's yep. uh and so that is you know that is one of our core values and we we stick to that uh so our, our personal preferences 
are don't matter. It is what is the data showing? What are we hearing from the qualitative research? And you know, this is this is what has to get built. But you know, talking about culture, like uh, you know, not only customer um, uh, happiness and the customer experience, but really just the employee experience. And if that if employees are happy and they love coming to work, they're going to get they're going to be way more productive. They're going to get way more work done. And that generally, if not all the time, translates into the customer. If you don't have happy employees, you're not going to have happy customers. Yeah. Um, and so I, I remember at South by, I listened to the, I met the CEO of SoulCycle and she said that they had that a big company shift in, uh, in, in values and everything was about the customer. Uh, and she said, we made everything about the employee. And if, uh, if employees are happy, then we figured that would trickle down and they saw their customer satisfaction even go up after they deprioritized customer satisfaction under employee satisfaction. So I think it goes exactly to what you were talking about. We are on the same wavelength. The, the number one principle in here is that our team and our employees are first and foremost and are always. And uh, the only way to give the best to the customer is to be at our best in here. Um, it would be impossible to deliver a great experience to anybody else if, if we're not happy in, inside. Uh, you mentioned the interviewing. What's your favorite interview question? Oh, man. Um you know, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I definitely like to ask a couple early, just random ones. Uh, and it, it kind of changes every time. So I don't know the, if I have, because I think of a better, <laughs> I've thought of better <laughs> ones. And I'm kind of blanking on a couple of them right now. But, uh, and, and I just, and I asked, I'll ask a couple of random ones early just to see if, if they BS an answer or like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I knew that. Or, uh, or if they're willing to say, like, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I can find out. Or just yeah. to really just get a gauge um, for their personality, too. And that goes back to culture and everything else. So, like, you know, we could, I could ask someone, you know, uh, marketing questions or design questions or tech questions. I probably wouldn't be I, all technical interviews. I have other people there, too, or, um, but that are more uh, technical than I am. But, um, in, but, those questions are every bit as valuable, if not more valuable, just to to figure out what type of person is are the, is this person? Yeah. Uh, is is he or she um, going to be truthful to you? Is he or she going to BS it and then figure it out uh, that they screwed up and then they're going to have to go back and waste time and fix their mistakes? Or you know, are they going to be able to you know willing to admit when they made mistakes instead of trying to cover it up? And uh, and and that's. Uh, you know, because if you can find a, uh, you can find a technical person that's going to make all those mistakes, but then it's, you know, it slows you down. It creates a bad culture and everything else we just talked about. So, um, yeah, I, I'm blanking on a on a great question that I've asked people, but we'll get we'll get back to that one. You have to answer it before we. Before we <laughs> Alrighty. Um, so you've, uh, you've come up with an idea, you've figured out how to begin building it. You've gone through an incubator. Take me through the fundraising part. How hard is it to fundraise for an idea that, uh, has never been proven to be a success and what are, what was the experience like? How were, I, I'll, I'll add some follow-up questions to that, but, but for somebody maybe looking to raise money, what are they headed into? What's the experience? Oh man, uh, fundraising, 
Uh, <laughs> I'll admit it was a, it was a little exciting at the beginning because this is a new thing for me. And, yeah. Um, but it is it is a uh, it is not exciting anymore. <laughs> it is it is a uh, you know I don't want to say it's a distraction because it is an essential part of your business. Uh, you know that you know, a lot of times, especially tech companies, need uh, you know a boost of capital to really get you going and uh, get you on the right uh, cycle. But it, it, when there are other things, um, you know, it, it can be a long drag out process. And how we did it uh, is probably a little, it, I think everybody's situation is different is what I'm trying to say. I just retired from the NFL. I knew if I went and pitched a bunch of technical VCs that were quote unquote smart money, I would get stereotyped out the room and I realized that no one was going to take me seriously. And here's a kid with an idea that played football once. And, and so we didn't, we didn't go that route. Uh, you know, our first fundraising round was in Fort Worth that, you know, you were part of both of our rounds. Thank you. Uh, I just thought uh, you were going to kick my ass if I didn't. You're so you're like <laughs> for anybody that doesn't know Jason, he's six, what are you? Six, 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 seven. Yeah. Yeah. So it was more of, I just wanted to stay safe than I even believed in what you were doing. Now I'm, I'm totally kidding. Yeah. Intimidation is the number one thing I would recommend. No, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no. And, and so, you know, we, we did a Fort Worth round, which was actually, uh, you know, it was really difficult with some people some people it wasn't as difficult because, um, what people look for in Fort Worth investments are, you know, people are used to seeing a 60 page prospectus and the exact business model and 20 other comps that, you know, uh, this is a sim business similar to ours and this is how it'll work and we'll be cash flow positive at this date. And, uh, you know, in tech, you know, you can do all that, but a lot of that is, you know, just guesses, honestly. Yeah, um, it's kind of bullshit. It really is. Um, and so, you know, sending people over, you know, one pagers and pitch decks and stuff like that. They're like, cool, cool. Where's the rest of it? <laughs> like, uh, it was a little bit of a challenge, uh, but we found people that were bought in, uh, that believed in us, that believed in our team. And, um, and that, and, you know, and that, uh, really got us going in, in the right direction. And we've done a, uh, you know, we've done a second round, which we're officially calling our seed round. And we were, uh, blessed enough to have most of our, and we're very thankful that most of our original investors came back in. And then we were able to find some quote unquote smarter money. We had, you know, some investment groups come in. We had some, uh, some venture capital come in and, uh, that were, were well connected and that can, you know, help, help us with resources other than just capital. But it's, it's definitely a necessary evil to go through and, um, uh, and you know it's it's definitely just like anything else. It's a learning curve, and you learn, uh, you know, how to pitch it, and you refine your pitch, and you refine, uh, you know, the way uh, you present everything. And um, you know, it's uh, uh, you know, I, you know, you know, next year after we have uh, you know a successful launch, I imagine we'll have to do uh, a much bigger round, which we've already recording much larger VCs and people that could really help take our app to the top. Um, and so we'll probably have to start that. It, it doesn't really go away. It, it just, you know, it kind of lives there, but, yep. um, uh, I don't know if a question or not. I just kind of, no, that was a, it was a great question. I, I, my follow up would be, uh, 
you're pre-launch, but you've raised two rounds and smarter money came into the second round. What did you have to offer the second round that you didn't have to offer the first round? I think, uh, besides everything, <laughs> no, I, I think it, I think we were doing the right things. Um, you know, I think, uh, they, everything that they looked for, you know, we had, and we had, uh, I mean, we had, we were buttoned up, so to speak. And the, the biggest reason is okay, we had an app that works and it works great. And, uh, and we could obviously get into, we were getting close towards the launch and that this is going to be, you know, the initial parts of our, of our launch, uh, capital, but also that they wanted to see everything else. You know, those guys, uh, came to our office and met everybody and even, Hey, is it cool if I talk to some of the developers and, you know, they had their CTO talk to our team and make sure, you know, we had a legitimate team and, uh, they looked at, uh, you know, uh, the way, you know, that we had the right legal team and that we had the right, uh, just all of our ducks in a row. Hey, they saw the core values on their wall and they're like, Oh, like these, this, you guys are operating, not like the average startup operates and that, you know, we, we've taken the time to do the little things that normally translate into being successful. And, um, and, and I think that was, those, those were definitely things we did not have, uh, the first go around when we were raising, raising money. Uh, is who is the right legal team for you these days? Oh yeah. <laughs> I got to give them a shout out. Uh, Bellawood, uh, yeah. the basement, uh, they've done an amazing job. Uh, I work with Kevin primarily and, uh, you know, we've seen a lot as, you know, as a early stage, uh, company and, and he's helped us through every, every issue and, and every growing or inflection moment. He's, he's been there to support us with great legal counsel and, uh, provided everything, uh, the right way. So, uh, Vela has been amazing for us. Yep. I had to, I had to ask it. I was, uh, I was 99.9% .9 sure that was, uh, still the, the attorney and, and Kevin was my first attorney ever. So shout out to Kevin. Um, what does a great 2019 look like for, for earbuds and for you? Like, what are your goals in the coming year? Yeah. Uh, 19 is, uh, this is kind of our, our big, our big year. You know, I, like we talked about earlier, I thought this was going to come much faster, but I'm glad we took the groundwork to do it the way we did instead of just rushing a product out the door. But we were soft launching this week in Austin. And what that means is for the next couple months, uh, we'll be targeted primarily. Anybody can use our app. And honestly, Chris, we, <laughs> we got in the app store a couple of days ago and we have already have several international downloads. We have downloads in China and here and there. So people are finding our app and, uh, we have, we have only five star reviews so far. So that's a, that's a great, uh, wow. thing. um, anybody can, anybody can download it, but we want to make sure that, you know, before we pull on what I call some of our levers, you know, we we're partnering with the X games. We, uh, I was last Friday, I met the, uh, head of partnerships for Twitch, uh, and, you know, with some of the things we have in traditional sports and esports, and, you know, all of these things that we can really, and some of, and probably our biggest, uh, marketing advantages, our influencer arm of all professional athletes, artists, and even major entertainers in the space. And before we really, and I forgot to even talk about PR, uh, you know, we have, you know, a PR push ready, kind of baked out, but ready to push. And, 
before we really strategically grow fast, we want to make sure, okay, let's get 5,000, let's get 10,000, let's get, you know, 15, 20,000 people on the app and, you know, let's really learn. We can, we can look at our data and we have analytic events, uh, through every, for every screen, for every button. And we can really see, uh, how people are using our app and how engaged they are and how retentive they are. And, uh, you know, are they using our app every day or once a week or why is no one saving songs? And I know this is a long answer. I'm getting to the goal. No, question, but, I love it. But if we can really use that data to make any last minute switches, uh, or tweaks, you know, Instagram was an app when they launched under their first name, uh, bourbon, they had less than a hundred users six months after they launched, they rebranded it, changed it, you know, added filters, uh, and removed some of the clutter. They had 25,000 downloads their first 24 hours because it was almost the same app. It was just tweaked a little bit. They added filters and they took away some of the location tagging stuff. And, you know, from going to hundred users to 25,000 users overnight, you know, the, the margin for success is so slim. And, and so instead of, you know, wasting all of these, uh, these marketing advantages that we have, we really want to make sure, okay, we're hitting our KPIs, our key performance indicators where we have a really, uh, engaged following and now it's time to pour gasoline on the fire and it's time to go. So, uh, you know, what our, what our marketing goals are is the, uh, you know, have, you know, 10,000 people download it in Q1 of next year. And for those to be successful, you know, those to be into it, you know, we probably won't have 10,000 this week on our soft launch download it. Uh, but really use that, use those numbers because we're only going to be targeted marketing in Austin. Uh, and you really use that, that data to do any last minute tweaks. And then starting Q2 and around South by, it is going to be, uh, um, you know, I call it our hello world moment, like world domination. We talk about it all the time in the office, but really, uh, you know, pull on a lot of these levers and get 50,000, 100,000. And honestly, by the end of Q19, I want, you know, a, over a million downloads with, wow. um, you know, and, Personally, that's what we have on the board. Personally, I think it can be a lot more than that. Um, but, you know, we, we wanted to put something that uh, that was up there. And, you know, if we have a million users using our app. Uh, that has marked us success. But uh, I think, you know, if we really do this the right way, we can get uh, even numbers much higher than that. I just got to say, um, you when you first came in the office two years ago, you left that day basically saying, um, I don't really exactly know how we're going to get there, but you're going to bet on a guy that's going to go, that's going to give it everything he has. And for me, even following up on our conversation a little earlier, the initial idea, the initial plan, the initial deck, again, it's not all total bullshit, but what you're really betting on early on is the person. And just hearing you talk two years later, it is so clear that you have just immersed yourself and just become a, a professional in what, in what you're doing. And, um, it's just exciting to hear even what you're talking about going into the, the next year. Um, to follow that up, what do you do? Like, what do you do? Uh, you're not a coder. I'm sure you've learned, but that's not what you do. You mentioned partnerships with the X Games, Twitch, 
the NFL influencers, like how are you getting all these um, deals? And, you know, for those listening, like Jason and I occasionally will talk at night just about what he's got going on. And you're calling me back to tell me about some huge meeting in New York City you had. Like, are you running business development or how are you putting all these partnerships together? Man, uh, well, first of all, I got to say thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate the, the compliment you said. Um, uh, that means a lot. You come in. I, I definitely consider you a mentor and, uh, and vice versa. You know, uh, you're just an amazing person in my life. And I'm, I'm glad uh, that our paths crossed and that we're in this together. Yep. Um, but yeah, what do I do? Uh, <laughs> I, that's, a, that's a hard question to ask because I wear a lot of different hats. Um, and you know, if, if this wasn't so fun and if I didn't love, you know, every minute of it, uh, you know, it'd probably be easy to get burnt out because, uh, but because, you know, I believe in this so much and where, where we want to take this, um, you know, I, it, it, I don't mind doing stuff at night. I don't mind doing stuff on the weekend. I took a red eye back, um, not last night, the night before from San Fran I was at a tech conference there uh, you know doing you know working to grow the business with the business business development deals and they had people from the music industry there and trying to really get this going so I do wear the business development hat primarily I do wear the product hat a lot while I'm here and while I'm in the office I'm making sure that hey this is um, this is aligning with you know what we said we're gonna this this makes sense from most importantly, a user experience, but our business requirements and this aligns with marketing and this is aligned with design and this is, you know, m- mashing all these things together into a final product that works for every part of the company. And so uh, I love wearing that that product hat here. Um, but even, you know, budgeting and allocating resources and, uh, and really, uh, you know, making, you know, the things that... Uh, um, uh, that you know, not everybody thinks about uh, and making sure that all fitting together without any missing pieces. Uh, but like I said, it's 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 a challenge, but it, it's definitely a fun challenge. And um, you know, when we do the, another round of funding after you know after we were able to grow our following, uh, you know, I think allocating a couple of those resources, I'm definitely going to still be wearing the product hat uh, for a majority of it. But you know, having some people to help take some of these things off my plate so I can stay more focused in the lanes that, you know, I think I really thrive at, um, that, that'll, that'll go going forward. But I think, you know, early stage companies, I think founders have to wear a lot of hats. I think that's super important. And, um, I'm not saying you have to stay up all night coding or stay up all night emailing or doing, you know, you can have a separate life from that. But, uh, if you're not fully immersed yourself into making it successful, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a blend between both of those, if that makes sense. I think one of the hardest parts of growing, especially as a CEO is knowing when it's time to delegate, knowing when mm-hmm. you're, you're no longer the, the right fit for that, that role. It's, it's tough to give up on things that you've been doing forever. Um, and more times than not, you give it up and realize I should have done that, you know, a long time ago or whatever. And I find myself all the time. Uh, seeing things being done around the office that I used to do and uh, it's like when is the next thing I'm gonna get off my plate and what's it gonna be 
Um, true or false that starting a startup is like jumping off a cliff and trying to build an airplane before you hit the ground? Very true. Uh, <laughs> very true. You think you have all the answers and man, it's, uh, you know, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, you know, he, he's famously quoted for, he said, you know, yeah, everybody has founder, CEO, all these president titles. He said his business card always said fire extinguisher. And mm-hmm. that's kind of early stage companies, you know, there's, there's issues. Oh, we discovered this huge bug or, Hey, this isn't working or, you know, we thought this channel was going to be amazing for us in marketing and it's, you know, it's falling flat on this face. Why isn't this performing? And, uh, and, but that's, you know, that's, 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 that's what I want to do. I want to come in and, you know, identify problems and solve them. Uh, I don't want to be in an assembly line doing the same thing every day. I want to be able to, you know, help build something and help contribute to something. Um, but I'll even comment on your delegating task. I struggle with that too. Uh, but I, every time that I finally let it go, I realized that, you know, that was, that was the right decision. And I probably yep. could have done that a little earlier. Um, you know, early on, when we moved to Austin, you know, some people other wanted to really had really strong opinions about product decisions. Like it should, this should work this way. And because I'd been involved a little bit longer, you know, it was, it's a tough balance to be, Hey, it has to be Jason's way. But for me to communicate like, no, we've tried this, you know, our, our first ver- version, our first beta of the app did this and it didn't relay the message or, Hey, we tried, this tech stack and these are the shortcomings with using uh, Firebase or this or that or whatever it is. And, and so, you know, now I think people realize and, and even probably then that like it wasn't, hey, it has to be Jason's way. But, uh, you know, I had knowledge that they, you know, I've been around longer. But now that everybody's here and fully aware of, uh, you know, where we're at as a company and why we've made our decisions, it's made my job so much easier because, if I'm not in the office a certain day, if I'm in New York having a meeting or if I have, I have to be somewhere, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't worry about being in the office anymore because I know we are, I know our team culture and I know the guys we have guys and girls that we have here. And I, you know, I could not show up for weeks. I don't do that, but yeah. I, if I didn't, you know, I, I feel confident that they would most of the time arrive at the same decision I would have. Yep. I think the, the biggest shift in, in mindset, especially for me early on, was that people aren't expenses, they're assets, and they produce amazing work when they're they're done well. And there's just like no better feeling on earth than hiring a great person that can take on a lot and, and exceed your expectations. And it sounds like um, that's now happening at Earbuds. Uh, yes. Um, all right, we're gonna, we got about 10 minutes we're just going to talk a little bit more kind of personal stuff. Um, if you could give advice to your 21 year old self, what would it be? Oh man. Um, you know, I was, I was 20. I just, I got drafted the week of my 21st birthday. Um, so I thought I knew everything. I thought I was hot stuff. I thought I, <laughs> I was, just made it to the NFL. Um, and I wish, you know, if I could go back, I would tell them that like a lot of the, it's honestly, no, without sounding corny or, um, in any way, it's a lot of stuff we've been talking about that Jason, you don't know all the answers. Uh, you're not as smarter or, or even as cool as you think you are. Like, you know, go and 
you know, really, you know, at that time it was athletics, but, you know, don't celebrate that you got to the NFL. And, you know, and I did, and I, there was a lot of this that like I did, you know, dig in and like, okay, now this, this is the starting line, not the finish line. And, um, but, you know, you know, read books, you know, have a, you know, have a solid mentor team, uh, surround yourself with, uh, you know, with, with a network that can really help you, you know, get people like, honestly, one of the biggest things I tell people is like negative people. Like I, I used to try to include everybody just because oh, I went to high school with this guy or I've known this guy for a while or this or that. And now negative people in my life, like, you know, there's, there's, there's people that, you know, if I see them, you know, out somewhere, I'll be obviously friendly to them. I don't ever be mean, but if I'm going to spend time with people in my life, I want to make sure that, you know, that they're encouraging, that they're, you know, they, that they're honest, that they're loyal, uh, because, you know, life's short and life's precious. And if you're going to, you know, if you're going to spend that with the wrong people and, uh, number one, it's, it's just a waste of time. And number two, whether you think or not, they rub off on you. Like, yeah. you know, you're, a, you're an you're average a, of the five people you keep closest. Absolutely. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And that was something I didn't, I don't think I learned until, uh, my late twenties. And I wish I would have applied that in my early twenties. Yep. Um, I'm just bouncing around. So there's no rhyme or rhythm to these questions. What is your favorite app on your phone besides earbuds? <laughs> Man. Um, if I'm being totally honest, if I'm, if I'm saying, uh, what, you know, now the iOS 12, it tells you what you spend the most time on. Yeah. So it would tell you Instagram. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, so I, yeah, Instagram's, uh, I read a book called hooked, uh, and then references Instagram a uh, hundred times of why they, how they were able to create such an addicting experience. Yeah. Uh, so if I had to give just a one app answer, I would probably say Instagram. Uh, uh, the other ones uh, that I think are great, I am a total numbers nerd and I have more finance apps uh, out there. And I just, uh, you know, I love, you know, half of them are, they do a million different things, whether they're budgeting, finance, investing, uh, even crypto investing and other, other stuff like that. Like that's, uh, that was my next question. Is really? Bitcoin going to make it? Man, I, I bought Bitcoin today. I love it. <laughs> I, uh, I am a huge, uh, crypto. I'm a very bullish on crypto and I'm even more bullish on, uh, blockchain. So I think, I think it's here to stay. I don't think we'll see, uh, you know, in the next 12 months, it, I think, I think prices will be higher than what it is today. But if you're looking out on the three to five year horizon, I think, uh, I really do think blockchain and crypto are going to change the world. So, um, will earbuds play any role in the blockchain world or crypto world besides maybe accepting payments in crypto is earbuds built on the blockchain? We are not built on, built on blockchain. We, uh, that has definitely been talked about several times. Um, it, especially when you're in the startup world, like, you know, I, you probably hear like me, you probably hear a hundred pitches a week, but you know, AI and blockchain are like buzzwords that everybody has to get into every pitch. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, people tell me it's refreshing when we're like, Oh, you're not, you're not doing something in blockchain. That's cool. Yeah. That being said, I think it's an amazing technology and, you know, in the future, um, you know, once we get past a certain point of scale of in, incorporating, I mean, we have, we have AI in our technology and if we have 
we're able uh, to smartly use, uh, you know, blockchain at some point. I'm not going to rule it out by any means. It's yeah. not something currently we're working on. What's the last book you read? The last book I read, I actually read it uh, to and from the flights that I was just on. It was, uh, it was, you know, I go to Watermark when I was in, when I lived full time in uh, in Fort Worth. I went to uh, Watermark and. The, the pastor that's actually leaving there now, he's he's going to Waco, but he wrote a book. So I read his book. Um, I try to read a book a month. That's like that's like my goal. Uh, I actually have it. Uh, <laughs> I actually, you want to know how nerdy I am? I can't believe I'm gonna share this. But I read a book called The Compound Effect, and I don't I don't know if Chris, have you read that book? Nope, but I'm writing it down. It's it's a really easy read. You could probably read it in a couple of days. Um, and it it applies, you know how how compounding interest works, but it, it basically applies that to every other uh, facet of your life. And, you know, if the person wants to lose weight, it's not eating the salad twice a week that's going to make the difference. It's that those 20 decisions you make subconsciously daily, am I going to grab a, uh, you know, a donut when I walk into work? Am I going to get a water? Or am I going to soda at lunch? It's like all these, when you add up all these you know, 20 transactions a day and spread that over months and over years, like even like, you know, drinking an extra Coke a day, like the calories, what that adds up at the end of two years. And like, it's like a 37 pound difference or something like that. And so it's like, but it, it doesn't have to be losing weight. It doesn't have to be working out. It, it could just be making daily decisions. Um, and it gets you to track everything that in your life that you want to change. And so I literally, <laughs> you know, this is, <laughs> nerdy. I've been made fun of this a lot in the office. I have a board in my in my Austin apartment, and it's literally everything from, you know, do I eat a healthy breakfast? Do I eat a healthy lunch? Do I eat healthy? And did I work out today? But then the rest of them, or over half of them, are, um, did I prepare for my day? Did I get everything I, for earbuds I said I was going to get done? And like, when you have to like be accountable to yourself. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that's something that, I mean, a lot of people will do it, you know, even the book the whole time, he's like 99% of you won't actually do what I'm recommending. And, yep. uh, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's really like made everything like you see so much, like when it's out in front of you, like, Hey, did I say, did I get done what I said I was going to get done? And when you can, when I put that things for my personal life, but also, everything earbuds related in there it, it holds you accountable because uh, you have to go look and say like no i didn't get that done and i said i was gonna get it done and i'm too competitive to <laughs> to mark x's yeah uh i love it so i i would say a lot of books uh for just general life i'd say compounded books uh sorry compound effects for for finance i would say uh you know rich dad poor dad was a great book and then for business what um what has helped us the most is actually a book you recommended. So thank you. I'd say traction. So traction is yep. amazing for us. It's helped uh, set a lot of the things we talked about earlier, culture and goals and everything else. Uh, and, and what, what works in uh, early stage company. Thank you, Gino Wickman for changing another person's life. He wrote traction. Uh, have you read Zero to One by Peter Thiel? Yes. Actually, I can't believe I didn't think of that book. I, uh, that was one of the first books. Because for your business, that's like everything. Yes. Um, man, I, uh, yeah, I, I read that book uh, early. Sta- when I think when it came out. or when, I'm not sure when it came out, but 
I read it a couple of, uh, at least a year ago, a year and a half ago, maybe, but that is definitely up there too on my favorites. Um, yeah. Um, if you could meet anybody, who would it be? Ooh, man. If you would ask me that several years ago, I would say any, I would say I had a long list of athletes. I'd say Michael Jordan. I'd say, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky, you know, uh, there's so many guys, uh, now I would probably say Jeff Jeff Bezos uh, yeah. or or even honestly Elon Musk. Um, you know, probably Jeff Why? Bezos. Though. What'd you say? Why? It honestly goes back to the things I was saying earlier. Like if I could pick those guys' brains for an hour, um, you know, both of those guys are such they're ten steps ahead of everybody else. Um, and you can like them or love them for some of the decisions they've made. Um, and you know but they can you know not only you know amazon can tank a company by putting out a news article they're like hey we're going to get into this and whatever company is going to do that i mean their their stock price is going to plummet and they've gotten there because they've they've made nothing but uh, smart moves after smart moves after smart moves and being uh you know innovators and um you know Obviously, they, those two guys, as smart as they are, they couldn't do it by themselves, but they were smart enough to build uh, their companies with the resources and everything that we've talked about here. And they've just been two examples of, uh, you know, building things uh, to scale and doing it the right way. And if I could just learn from those guys and have those guys in my network, uh, you know, that, that would be the, the, the main reason why. Yeah, I just spent a week at Singularity University up in Mountain View outside of Palo Alto, and uh, there was a discussion on actually both those guys. And um, the ability, and this isn't just with them, this is with Warren Buffett, it's with just a lot of I have met successful Buffett. people. I also have met is, Warren Buffett. That was cool. I had lunch with him. You, you did? Yeah, he was, uh, him and him and Adamican Sue were. Uh, good friends and so warren buffett would swing by and i would played five out of my six years with sue and so warren swung by a couple times to talk to the team and i was eating lunch and him and his posse came over and uh, we ate lunch together so that was that was that was uh, quite an experience if you want to hear a nerdy thing i've watched every single annual meeting on youtube from 98 to 2018 they're about six hours each wow yeah well yeah. Um, nerds there so we're, we're both there. Uh, but they, what they were saying with Jeff and, and just really anybody is the ability to think for yourself is becoming harder and harder to do just with how much information is thrown at us each day Mm -hmm. on the internet, your phone, and to be able to block it all out and think for yourself. That's how people like Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, you, anybody can have clear ideas that aren't influenced by what the rest of the world believes. Um, and you're typically not liked for having those ideas and then you're loved once you prove them right. And so, uh, I would like to be sitting at the lunch table with you. If you get with Jeff and and Elon, there's about 400 followers on the podcast so far. So if Jeff or Elon are one of those 400, uh, this is your invite to come have lunch with Jason and I. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, um, well, this has been awesome. Uh, I always say like, I feel like we could go on for a couple more hours and maybe we will in a, 
in a follow-up once you've been launched and do like a check-in in the second quarter or maybe after South by Southwest? Would you be up for that? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Okay. Um, well, man, this has been awesome. Uh, like I said, it's, it's been incredible to, to watch the last couple of years and get to know you better and become better friends. And um, if you guys are on your iPhone right now, give Jason some love and download the earbuds app. I really believe it's going to change the way we think about music and listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, thank you so much for having me. This has been, this has been awesome and uh, a pleasure of mine. All right, buddy. I will, uh, I'll be in touch with you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks for listening today. Be on the lookout for new episodes coming soon that we're really excited about. If you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify, and if you really love to give us a five-star review, we'd be super grateful. Have a great day.